Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 16. Well, I hope you've had a great weekend. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for waking us refreshed to a brand new day and we pray now as we open your word together that you will bless us and help us to understand something from it that we can take with us for our soul's need this day. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this is the first time you've joined us, we've been looking at the life of Jacob. In the last five episodes, we looked at a pivotal point in Jacob's life. It was the point in which he finally received that which he had longed for so much, the birthright blessings. But he obtained them by deceit. We learnt that if Jacob had have possessed his soul in patience and waited, God would have fulfilled his purpose for him in his own time and way. Jacob's deceitful action proved costly. That's what we're going to look at this week. In episode 13, we left Esau, Jacob's brother, in a tearful mess. Esau had lost his birthright and with it the headship of the family. He would now serve his brother, but his father Isaac, in blessing him, made it bearable. Esau would be a man of the sword. Eventually the day would come when, from a position of strength, he would break free from servitude to Jacob. Right now, however, he was not a happy man. Let's read it in Genesis 27:41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother Jacob. Can you believe that? How bitter was the hatred of Esau for Jacob. You'll remember that Isaac thought he was going to die soon. Little did he know he would go on living for many decades more. And neither did Esau, Jacob or Rebekah. Rather than distress his father in what would be, he thought, his last days, Esau resolved to kill Jacob after his father died. Thinking this would not be a long wait, he comforted himself with this plan. Apparently he must have at some point said these words out loud, for someone heard them and told them to Rebekah, his mother. Now what do you think she would do? Remember, Rebekah was instrumental in hatching the plan to deceive Isaac. So there was no way Esau was going to listen to her, even if she could say anything to comfort him or help change his mind. Let's read what happened. I'm reading from Genesis 27, 42-45. And these words of Esau, her eldest son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her youngest son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother in Teharan, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? To protect Jacob from Esau's rage, Rebekah compelled him to flee to her brother Laban in Haran, Haran was over a thousand kilometers to the north. She was sure he would be safe there, and his stay there would only be for a few days, or so she thought. She had no idea that she would never see the face of Jacob again. This was her beloved son. She with him had coveted the blessing of God, but like Jacob, she had not learnt to trust God alone to fulfill his words to her. The cost for her scheming was great. She now not only feared she would lose Jacob if he were to remain, but also Esau. 
You see, Esau was bent on murder. And in Jacob's day, murder was punishable by death. This was based on God's word to Noah, Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. You see, in Bible times, if an animal killed a human being, that animal was to be put to death. Likewise, if a person took the life of another human being, then that person was to be punished with death. The reason is, according to this verse, that human beings are made in the image of God. That's what makes human life sacred. When a person kills someone, they are destroying the image of God. And no one has that right. God said in Numbers 35 verses 31 and verse 33, You shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. That was a reference to if someone had their hands on the altar, you couldn't touch them. But, but in this case for a murderer, thou shalt, take mine hand, uh, thou shalt take him from mine altar, God says, that he may die. And in Exodus 21.14, The land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. God required the life of the murderer. Ellen White explains why in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets. She writes, The only safety and purity of the nation demanded that the sin of murder be severely punished. Human life, which God alone could give, must be sacredly guarded. That's Patriarchs and Prophets on page uh, 516. For this reason, it was a custom in Jacob's day that the next of kin would avenge the life of their dead relative. This was Rebekah's fear. If Esau would kill Jacob, then surely an avenger of blood would take Esau's life. And so she would lose her two sons in one day. We don't have that kind of custom operating today, but I want to talk a little bit about it. For murder, the custom appeared just, but in the days of Joshua, God introduced a system to regulate the custom. In Numbers 35 verses 9 to 12, we read about it. It says here, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the man's lad die not, until he stand before the congregation in judgment. You see, six cities of refuge were appointed in the land of Israel, and signs were posted along the roads to them, saying, Refuge! The manslayer was to flee to the city and await judgment. While he was in the city, the avenger of blood had no right to take his life. I want to share from uh, Ellen Wattigan on this in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets. This is on page 515. It says here, But while the guiltless were not to be rashly slain, neither were the guilty to escape punishment. The case of the fugitive was to be fairly tried by the proper authorities, and only when found innocent of intentional murder was he to be protected in the city of refuge. The guilty were given up to the avenger. And those who were entitled to protection could receive it only on condition of remaining within the appointed refuge, 
Should one wander away from the, uh, beyond the prescribed limits and be found by the avenger of blood, his life would pay the penalty of his disregard of the Lord's provision. At the death of the high priest, however, all who had sought shelter in the cities of refuge were at liberty to return to their possessions. This reminds me of the wonderful provision God has made for you and me in Christ. Alan White puts it nicely here in Patriarchs and Prophets. She writes this, The cities of refuge appointed for God's ancient people were a symbol of the refuge provided in Christ. The same merciful Saviour who appointed those temporal cities of refuge has by the shedding of his own blood provided for the transgressors of God's law a sure retreat into which they may flee for safety from the second death. No power can take out of his hands the souls that go to him for pardon. When we go to Jesus, you see, for forgiveness, we find a place of refuge. That's why God's word tells us in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And verse 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, and also maketh intercession for us. You see, Jesus is standing there in heaven for you and me, offering our prayers and confessions to the Father, and providing forgiveness for our sins. And he does this so that we, according to Hebrews 6 verse 18, might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. That's what you and I need to do. We're facing eternal death because of our sins. Our enemy Satan is on the track of every sinner seeking to destroy us. He does not want us to find refuge. And he's happy if we delay finding a refuge or are indifferent to our situation. We have to recognize that we have transgressed God's law. And the law condemns us as guilty of all the selfishness and evil we've committed in our lives. If you realize your condition, then my appeal to you today is to flee to the refuge God has provided in Jesus our Savior. And when you find him, stay there. Remember, the prisoner who at any time went outside the city of refuge was abandoned to the avenger of blood. So with us. It's not enough for you to believe in Jesus to be safe. He says, abide in me. John 15 verse 5. By the surrender of yourself to him moment by moment, in obedience to his will, you can remain in him continually and you must to be safe. Hebrews 10.26 tells us that there is no salvation outside of Christ. Our only salvation is in Christ. Remember from episode 10, whoever you yield yourself to, that's whose servant you become. If you yield to temptation and commit sin, you become a servant of sin. And the reward of sin is death. But if you yield yourself to God through faith and obey Him, then you become a servant unto righteousness a servant of God. Paul explains it in Romans 6 verses 20 to 22, For when you were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness, which is godly living. For what fruit had you then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That is, the fruit of your ungodly living is eternal death. And verse 22, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. In our story, 
Jacob was about to learn what it meant to find a refuge in Christ. And so must we. If you haven't already, my prayer is that you find that refuge in Christ today. So flee to Him now and remain in Him safe. If you do, you are assured of eternal life, the birthright blessing only found in Christ. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our meditation this morning. We thank you for this wonderful assurance as we find in your word, the assurance of eternal life in Jesus and a refuge that we can find in him now, a refuge from sin, a refuge from temptation, a refuge from the enemy. So I pray that each one of us might find that refuge right now, that we give our hearts to you today to take us and keep us, Lord, in thy love and care. So bless us now, we pray, and we ask this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. This has been Paul Chapman for the 7 a.m. Bible. And wherever you are today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7 a.m. Bible. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am warm. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light take my hand precious lord lead